Welcome to the Intelligent Investing Podcast, where modern portfolio theory can suck it. A student of the school of Graham and Doddsville and a clergy member of the Church of Warren Buffett, here's your host, Eric Schlein. Hi, this is Eric Schlein. You are listening to the Intelligent Investing Podcast, and today we have back on Jeremy Raper. Jeremy, welcome back onto the show. Hey, Eric. Thanks for having me. Good to see you. It's, it's my pleasure. We've had quite an interesting ride the last few months since uh, you've been on. We've actually, we it seems like we every have. time you come on, there's been some really interesting ride in, in either the market or in the securities you've talked about. So, um, you know, maybe next time you come on, the markets will have been down 80% and we'll talk about some weird <laughs> thing then. So who knows? Anyway, welcome back. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. last time I came on was the end of march was it yeah it was it was right when everything was a total shit show exactly so we did we did the uh, coronavirus investing series yeah so i mean not to check the scorecard too much but well, we, uh, we, you know what jeremy i think we deserve to check the scorecard with some of the stuff you have you have brought up yeah okay so so i mean look obviously the whole market's ripped back so there's been a huge tailwind there but we talked about air cap in mid-march which is you know stock would have been i don't know near the lows let's say 15 to 20 the stock's now in the mid 30s um Qantas Airways we talked about on March 20th that the stock would have been about 220 230 something like that the stock's now 450 um Merger Arb I think that was Tiffany's that bounced quickly back so that worked out then it obviously came off again but now it bounced back um then on March 27th I think we discussed two gold stocks mm-hmm. in particular DRD Gold that stock's doubled uh, and Polyus Gold is up about sixty percent, so those both worked. Gold, I mean, gold has done okay, but you know, obviously, it's not up anything like that. Um, and then, obviously, the kind of fan favorite, judging from um, what we've talked about offline, mm-hmm. was Gan PLC. So we did another deep dive on that. March not only 30th. is it a fan favorite, but uh, Dave Portnoy now owns Gan. I saw that <laughs> David Day Trader, oh David Day Trader for the win. He's so, um, I mean, he's so funny. Have you have you watched his pizza reviews? I saw one of them. It was hilarious. He walked so, up to the door and he's like, he, he took a bite and he said, look, I only give it one bite. It, and he's like, I'll be honest with you. I'm going to eat this whole thing in right. about 30 seconds. I was like, so true. <laughs> he's so, so true. good. He's so good. I think it's funny that people take him seriously. Like, you, you know he's a, he's just like trolling people, right? He doesn't take his day I mean, trading. He, yeah, totally, totally. I, mean, he, I, I, watched him on, I watched him on CNBC. He did this interview. And he and uh, I forgot who was interviewing him. It was like you know a professional woman on CNBC, and she goes, um, "So how's your day trading been going?" He goes, "It's been going great. You know, I'm, I'm a really good day trader." And she goes, "Well, the the number's pretty, you know, deep in the red there." And he goes, "Well, no, that number's meaningless. Don't look at that number. Just just look at that position right there where I've made a lot of money." <laughs> yeah, I mean, he definitely knows how to um, sell himself. I mean, he's, he's he's just a brilliant marketer, right? He's hilarious. So- yeah. It's free marketing for his new venture with Penn Gaming, right? So I'm sure he if- is disappointed that Warren Buffett didn't respond to because you know you know that's what he wanted. He wanted Warren Buffett yeah. to not get it and to respond and then to get more publicity. Buffett, but Buffett probably thinks he's funny. <laughs> I'm sure. But, um, but anyway, yeah, so going back to Gan, yeah. so you know, just to remind everyone, this was the uh, basically the online gambling software play that was listed on the AIM exchange in London, and the, you know there was obviously there was the fundamental tailwind, but also the relisting tailwind. So I think we spoke about it when it was still listed in London, and I was kind of pretty bullish on the opportunity and the technicals, yep. um, and then the stocks up like four times or something, um, maybe more. I mean, look, we were we were talking about it before. I didn't catch quite all the ride because I cut it. 
um, maybe a, a month too early, but you know. Right. If you that, if you had if you had bottom tick debt to today, it's up over nine hundred percent now. Exactly, and and some some of us on this podcast did that. Congrats. <laughs> um, but in any case, it's been a, a huge winner. Um, and then on April first, we also talked about some Japanese hotel REITs, which look these have not quite doubled. They're maybe up fifty percent each. So they've done well, but again, you know. Um, more catching the broader market kind of bounce there. So, right. look, a lot of this stuff has has kind of moved a lot more than the market. It's obviously moved a lot as well, um, and that's why we're looking further afield today um, to to kind of greener pastures where you know, like a lot of these U.S. listed stocks now, or you know, the mainstream stocks are let's not say fully valued because you know who knows but uh the, the easy the low-hanging fruit's definitely gone from a lot of things so yeah i, I mean start- gans i wouldn't certainly say is not low-hanging fruit it was low-hanging fruit when we talked about it last time that's, that that's was right. it was ridiculous so now we're going to talk about something that i think is equally ridiculous or even actually more ridiculous you know, Jer- jeremy before you okay. do that before you do that i i i know you don't own gan anymore but i i think it is so it has become so popular in the in the investment world, I think it is worth maybe just discussing their their last quarter. Um, okay. I mean, I, I'd like to just hear your view on on sort of the future of the company. You know, any thoughts you had of the last quarter before we we move on? Sure, sure. I mean, look, I don't want to be too much of a downer. Yeah, no, please. <laughs> fine. It was fine. It was nothing. I mean, look, they didn't. They didn't raise guidance. They didn't blow guidance away. The number came in basically exactly where they said the number would um, before they listed in the U.S., which, given the run the stock has had, I thought was slightly disappointing. But they said all the right things on the conference call, right? They, they're winning a bunch of new clients. They said they have more business than they can handle, so they have to be judicious. It, it, Jerry, um, it wouldn't surprise me that they do raise guidance for next quarter. That would not Of course. Me. Of course. Of course. They're going to raise guidance next quarter. The the post-corona period has been – so obviously the first quarter was end of March, right? So right. the post-corona period was when you know online gaming and gambling really kicked off. Um, so look, I, I think they print much higher than $40 million for the full-year revs. But look where the market cap is now, right? This thing – when we discussed this in March, this thing was trading at three and a half times revs, right? Now this thing is and trading – And it got, it got down almost to about two times rev. Yeah, it got back down to two times in the crash, and, and then it bounced from there. And I was kind of bigging it up, given that you know we were, we were discussing sure. business has been cut in half, and the actual fundamentals are much stronger because everyone's gambling online now. Um, so, look, I could not be more bullish on the fundamentals. At the same time, the stock is up, as you said, almost 9x from the lows. Like, what can you say? The market is... And also, by the way, this is now um, going to be entered into the Russell 2000. There's a lot of buying front running that move. Um, and... It's it's just not an undercover gem anymore. I mean, sure. there's nothing. It's not really a criticism of the company. It's just I loved it at two times revenues. I thought it was good value at four times revenues, and I sold it at ten times revenues. You know, and now it's trading at you know thirteen times revenues, whatever it is. But it's not it's, not, it's not the worst problem in the world to have. Let's put it that way. <laughs> exactly. You know me. I, I'm more of a value sure. bent. My, my strategy is more value oriented. So you know, I try to find fresher pastures, which which yeah. hopefully we can cover today. Well, there's many, you know, and even in the realm of value, there's many different ways to skin a cat. I mean, you could say Peter Lynch was a value guy, and you know he liked to hold things to find hundred bagger. So that's right. I mean, on a five year view, I'm sure Gan will be higher. Um, it's just maybe in six months it's lower, and we can revisit it, or you know there'll be bumps along the way, and it'll be worth revisiting. But 
Yeah, I just happened to find something that I thought was far more compelling than GAN at its current price, um, uh-huh. and, you know, much earlier in its growth trajectory, actually. And that's what we're going to talk about uh, today. All right. So, sounds good. And by the way, you are doing a news, uh, a paid newsletter now, right, too? That, that's right. That's right. So I'm, you know, I turned my blog into a paid research service. It's called Raper Capital Pro. I mean, not to not to focus on the, that too much, but no, you I, think, to- I think you, you, you offer something valuable. It's worth it's worth sharing about. Yeah, you know, we have okay. a lot of listeners, so there might be some that, that are interested. Yeah, I mean, sure. So if you go to rapercapital.com, you can obviously check out my blog. Everything before May is still in the public domain. So okay. essentially, it's a continuation of what I was doing. That is using my credit-based approach, which we've talked about before, to find you know undervalued stocks and obviously shorts as well. Um, and and kind of profiling what I think are really interesting off the beaten path kind of undercovered securities through that lens. Yeah. Um, so so you know what we're, we'll talk about today, a company called Endor. I profiled that on my site you know a few weeks ago. You know, obviously exclusive for subscribers, and you know seems like it was well received by the market. Um, and you know we can talk about that, but but obviously I, I try to go you know across the across the map so to speak, wherever the most interesting opportunities are, using my network and obviously using my um, my own method to yep. kind of find the covered companies. So well, I, I, re- I respect that you spend a lot of time doing your own research. So I don't want you to be giving away, you know, everything on here, but, uh, let, yeah. let's talk about Endor if you, if you, if you're comfortable doing that. Yeah, for sure. So, so I'm obviously I'm not going to, you know, give away all the numbers or all the, yeah. you know, the quantitative modeling, which comes with the service, but you know, just to kind of profile the idea, yeah, please. If you're interested, they can follow up on the site, and obviously, there's a huge more amount more of information there. So, Isn't it so funny? For, I, I do want to say though, yeah. it is funny how people, because I, I I have gotten this before, right? Where you spend a hundred yeah. hours on a company, right? yeah, or, or maybe more, right? Over you know, so over the accumulation of a few months, and then someone's like, "So, can you just send me all your notes for it?" And I'm like, <laughs> "Dude, like, really? You know?" Yeah. And I, I get it sometimes, but it's just like, I mean. It would be like if you were a massage therapist, be like, hey, can you give me a two-hour full body today? I'm like, I mean, you can pay well, me. Like, What about a hundred-hour full body over the uh, next four weeks? Can you do that? <laughs> right. It's, I mean, it's, it's just like, yeah, I, I, you can pay me. Like, And also, it's actually a lot worse than that because it's like then you get up off the massage table after those hundred hours and you're ten times richer. Right. <laughs> because it's investment research. <laughs> so it puts money in your pocket as well. But anyway, look. Yeah, go ahead. If people are, if people can get something for free, they're going to try and get it for free. That's, of course, I mean that's the world we live in. But you know, there's a value to the work, as you said. Obviously, this is fundamental deep dive research, like yeah. to myself. So and I, I highly respect that the work you do. So, thanks, man. Yeah. Yeah. So, so okay, let's set the scene. So this stock is look. I'm trying not to be too overly bullish. What I would say at the outset is I've never seen an opportunity like this, right? I think in the in the pantheon of opportunities I've seen, maybe Gan is in there, but this to me is is far more exciting. Um, and the reason it's far more exciting is if if you go back and listen to our podcast again, whoever's listening on GAN, you'll note that I was a little, when we we're talking about the risks and the worries, I was not 100% convinced of the uh, of their technology platform. That is, uh, you know, there were some competitive issues there, right? We, I was not 100% all fully convinced that they could, you know, there was the fan dual concentration issue. Right. And then there's some obvious issues around, okay, well, what do they have a proper moat with what they're doing, right, in in the customer wallet? And some of those have not been proven out. So, you know, my skepticism was unfounded, but those nevertheless remained. Whereas Endor, when we come to talk about it, I I kind of believe they have a much, much stronger competitive position uh, in their core market today 
Um, and, and that market is equally nascent, equally immature to, to the online gaming market, online gambling market in the US. So that's kind of what attracted me first to this story. But to kind of set the scene more broadly, Endor is a German company. It's a small cap. Market cap today is about 200 and something million euro. It's listed on the Munich Stock Exchange. So this isn't the main German exchange. That's the Frankfurt Stock Exchange. So it's, it's kind of like the junior market. Is this in, kind of like the AIM, the, like the AIM market for London, the, the equivalent uh, of, for Germany? Kind of, kind of, but not as bad. Not as bad. <laughs> that so was the, bad. The, the, the AIM market in London, you, it, trading the stocks is extremely difficult because you basically there's you the can't options. just lift offers. There's an auction system. So this one, there is a normal bid and offer. Okay. It's just illiquid. Um, so look, it's not the easiest stock to trade in the world. Uh, it's listed in Germany. It's a bit illiquid. Right now, it trades around $500,000 a day. So not too bad, but not easy. Yeah. Um, it's gone up a lot in the last month. Like a month ago, it was like 55 euro. And now it's about 110, 115 euro. So it's it's moved. Um, but I'll, I'll talk, tell about what, you know, I'll explain why I'm not too worried about that in terms of the, you know, the one or two year story. So they have one, Endor is the holding company. They have one operating company, one main business, and that's called Fanatec. Fanatec, their entire business is making sim racing hardware. Sim racing is basically where you get on your PlayStation or your Xbox or your PC and you engage in a virtual online race, F1 or Rally Car or World Rally Championship or NASCAR, and you do it over the internet against other virtual racers. So they make you know the steering wheel, the racing wheel. They make the pedals. They make the shifters, the gear shift. They make the seats as well. So if you're into this sim racing world, they make a lot of the peripheral hardware that that governs the experience. And you know this isn't like um, this isn't like making headsets or earphones for the iPod, right? So when I talk about the steering wheel, you know you can go to their website fanatech.com and check out the gear. You know these things are almost exact replicas of like the F1 racing wheel with mm-hmm. all the exact same knobs and buttons. And they have a technology that's called force feedback. And by the way, this is not necessarily unique to Fanatec, but it's part of the, the sim racing world. Force feedback is where while you're racing, every single bump, you go over a bump on the track, you bump another car, the wheel shakes, the pedals shake. Like you feel, you know, it's like when you go to the arcade. If you go to remember racing at an arcade, um, whenever you bump someone else in the race, you actually feel the impact. Yeah. And when you take the corner, if you're doing a, you know, a chicane or a tight corner on a race and you take the corner wrong and the wheel jags against you and the car tries to fishtail, you feel that through the steering wheel. So it's very immersive. It's a very high end product. Right. Um, and, you know, this stuff, this stuff starts at like three, four hundred euro for a wheel. But these fully integrated sets that include the pedals, the shifters, you know, these things can go up to thousands of euros p- for the set. So it can. Oh. it's a very high end product, actually. So basically, these guys completely dominate the high-end market for peripherals, for hardware peripherals for sim racing. They have about an 80% market share at the high-end, you know, defined as, say, kits over 1,000 euro, and a much lower share of the low-end. So starter-level kits under, say, you know, 200, 250 euro, they have a much lower share, maybe a single-digit share. Um, and there's a, there's a few other companies that compete with them. The main one in the low-end is called Logitech which you probably heard of. I mean, of course. they do a lot of other yeah. peripherals, you know, headsets, keyboards, whatever, and they also have a sim racing hardware business. Uh, and there's a small French company called uh, Thrustmaster, uh, which is uh, also listed, uh, owned by a holding company in France that makes pedals, primarily pedals, but also other gear. And there's a couple other companies. But essentially, Fanatec dominates the market at the high end. Uh, and the reason they dominate the market is because they were the first mover. 
Um, so they, they essentially were founded in the late 90s by this German guy. And, you know, within a few years, they quickly gravitated towards focusing only on steering wheels um, for gaming, right? So they're one of the first uh, gaming steering wheels. They produced it. And so they have a very long lead in the steering wheel category in particular. Um, and so over time, in order to entrench themselves in this market, they signed a lot of exclusive deals with with key OEM brands, right? So, you know, as early as the, the early 2010s, they signed an exclusive deal with Porsche. Then they added BMW. Then they added Mercedes. Now, more recently, they've added F1 World Rally Championship and, um, and NASCAR. So essentially, all the main organizations and OEMs that are involved in the racing world have partnered with Fanatec over time, which, you know, it's a bit of a virtuous cycle. It lends a lot of credibility to the Fanatec brand, all these uh, mainstream racers, guys in the F1, whatever, they, they're using Fanatec gear for their virtual races. Um, and at the same time, if you want, to, if you want a, you know, a Mercedes-Benz wheel that actually looks and feels exactly like the F1 Mercedes wheel car, a car, uh, car's wheel, um, you have to go to Fanatec, right? In fact, the only one they don't have of the top brands is Ferrari, and Ferrari's with one of their competitors, Thrustmaster. Um, but other than Ferrari, basically, they're all with Fanatec. So, so they have a very strong position within this niche. So I guess the real question is, how fast is the niche growing, right? So that's what makes this interesting. Um, so before, forget coronavirus, before yeah. 2020, this business compounded revenues at 40% a year for 10 years. So last year, for example, they grew revenues at 70%. Um, and, um, and so... You know, last year revenues were just under 40 million euro, and uh, then coronavirus happened. Uh, actually, sorry, I missed one part. So in January this year, revenues were growing 60% year on year again in January before coronavirus. But then coronavirus happened. And what happened with coronavirus? Obviously, the sports world stopped, um, but the virtual racing world took over. And so what you saw is obviously people were stuck at home. You know, video gaming has gone up a lot. Gambling has gone up a lot. We talked about that. But virtual racing took off because all these real races got suspended and all the real drivers started doing virtual racing as something to do. So then they engaged in all these virtual F1 races and then these other celebrities, sports celebrities, started getting involved. So you see on the Instagram of like famous soccer players, like all these famous soccer players and basketball players in Europe are doing these, these F1 race, virtual races in their spare time. And it's all free marketing. They're all using Fanatec gear. Why? Because Fanatec makes the best gear. So, you know, if you look at, say, and this is something I detail in my article, but if you look at, say, you know, Google searches, engagement, native checking of Fanatec.com, the Fanatec brand searches, these all exploded from March. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if you look on Instagram, like half these French celebrities are doing virtual racing, you know, every other day, right? So there's just been an explosion of interest. Um, in the sport. And so this was already, if you think about esports, was already growing at, say, strong mid-double digits. Um, within that, you know, virtual racing, sim racing is a pretty meaningful competitor. And this company was already massively outgrowing the market. As I said, they compounded 40% Kager and 70% last year when Thrustmaster, their, their main competitor, barely grew. Um, so they've been taking share as well. But then you had this kerosene on the bonfire effect of coronavirus. And so very recently, the CEO came out and said in a post on Fanatec.com, so not, not to the investor world, but to the, the fans, um, Fanatec.com has a big fan forum, right? Okay. He came out and he basically said, look, we're really sorry. We haven't been handling customer uh, orders quickly. We've been taking two weeks to reply to emails because demand is five times higher than what it was in January, which was already 60% higher year over year. 
Now, look, there's a downside to this, right? Obviously, there's a huge execution problem because they just aren't staffed for the demand. But the underlying point is, I mean, this business is just absolutely exploding. So on the one hand, you have this temporary phenomenon. On the other hand, they also came out and said, look, the underlying trend in the business is now so strong to me. They didn't come out. A German finance magazine came out, which had done an interview with the CEO. So, you know, it's kind of like a, you know, the message is, is from, from the company in a way. Mm-hmm. They came out and said, look, um, you know, this business is going to do 80 million euro in rev this year. And so last year they did 40 million. So that's doubling in a year. And we yeah. think it's easily going to do 100 million next year. Um, so even on a normalized basis, growth is still going to be, you know, 30% or whatever. And, and within two to three years, we think it'll be 150 to 200 million revenue business. And here's the kicker at 25 to 30% even margins, right? Mm. So look, I mean, the valuation of the company, and by the way, the company has no debt. So the valuation of the companies today is a bit over 200 million euros. So you're, you're saying you're paying one times revenue out a couple of years, maybe, or even say two times revenue next year for a company that's already doing 15% operating margins where margins have to, it's a hardware business where they outsource manufacturing and they distribute entirely through their own online store. There's no distribution to physical retail. There's no third party, you know, margin take. And the gross margin of the product today is 50%, right? So obviously there's a huge, huge fixed cost business, um, which should see a huge increase in operating leverage as revenue scales. So frankly, you know, on my numbers, before that new information came out from that German magazine, which happened, you know, a week ago or two weeks ago, on my numbers, I thought it was trading on, you know, mid-teens earnings next year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so basically, you know, after doubling, I thought it was trading on six or seven times earnings a month ago, despite growing 100%, which is kind of crazy. So now it's trading, you know, it was trading on, you know, 13, 14 times. But then I had to take my numbers up again massively because essentially demand is even higher than I thought. And they're speculating that, that, you know, the growth is just going to continue to be higher than, you know, than I was even expecting, you know, a normalization in the second half of the year next year, which seems like is unlikely to happen soon. So basically, you know, where the stock is today, I think it's trading not far north of 10 times earnings, maybe 11 times net earnings um, on next year's numbers for a company that uh, I see no reason why it couldn't continue to grow at, I don't know, 25, 30% a year for the medium term. Like if we think about the size of the market, right? So, the the global video game market okay so we have to segment it a little i guess but basically the console game market is about 55 billion a year okay the downloadable pc market is about 35 billion a year so let's call it 80 90 billion now of the console market racing racing today is i think only six or seven percent maybe six percent so it's not a large portion right a lot of it's you know 3d shooters or whatever so racing is only six percent so today, racing spend of consoles, maybe call it two, three billion, and then another, let's say, a few billion of the package market. Yeah. Um, well, okay, so that means Fanatec's total revenue right now is about 80 million euro. Um, and, you know, let's say the average customer spends a thousand euro on their wheel. Actually, it's probably, you know, when you complete the whole set, maybe it's more than a thousand euro, but just for ease of numbers, that's 75,000, 80,000 orders a year, right? Yeah. Right, so it's and by the way, they do no business in China today. Okay. This is this is just Western Europe, North America, and Australia and Japan essentially. So very little penetration in the world's biggest video game market. This market is still growing. I mean, natively growing at. Why, why, mid- Jeremy? I have a question. Why, why are they yeah. not doing business in China right now? They just hadn't. I mean, so first of all, the 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 virtual racing market is 
in its infancy, right? So it's really only taken off in the last few years and then in very developed markets, meaning Western Europe and North America, and then more recently a little bit in Japan, a little bit in Australia. But essentially, it's, it's, it's been a tiny company, right? They just didn't have the resources. So it's a German company based near Munich, um, bit of, you know, a bit of an oddball company, to be fair. Uh, they've had their challenges in the past. And, and, and look, they're, they're not ready for the big time. Let's be honest. You know, they, they weren't ready for this explosion in interest. They only publish their press releases in German, right? They yeah. don't even publish their financials in, in English yet. Um, and, you know, the disclosure requirements for a company listed on the Munich Exchange are pretty, pretty low. They still haven't filed their 2019 full annual report yet. So they've only published like what the net income was and what the revenues were. Um, they've published the first quarter sales number, but not much more than that. So it's, it's not quite a dark company, but it's definitely not ready for the big time. So, you know, there is certainly a disclosure learning curve they have to go through. They have to mature as a company just as business is, is growing. But, you know, we looking at GAN, I mean, and, and by the way, none of the investment thesis is this company is going to be listed on the NASDAQ and it's going to, that's not the thesis, right? If this was listed on the NASDAQ, the stock would be up 10 times. It would be five to 10 times higher than where it is today. I have no, no doubt in that because, I mean, how many companies can you point out that grow at 100% a year and trade at 10 times earnings? I mean, there's, right. there's just none, right? So that's not the thesis here. The thesis here is this is an extremely well-positioned company in an extremely fast-growing market that has a that was growing very quickly before COVID, but is now growing faster post-COVID. And there's no reason to think they couldn't continue to dominate the niche with a business model that lends itself what, to a huge operating leverage. What is what is your view on this not just being a fad and it going away? This this virtual racing stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, a few things. Firstly, the very long-term growth trend before COVID. So we have to we have to distinguish between what's the COVID-related bump yeah. and what was before. So in this regard, the commentary all through 2019 was, and obviously the performance in 2019 was was great, right? So in 2019, revenues grew 70%. They put up 40 million, maybe slightly more than that, actually. Um, and they saw margins expand from low single digits to, I think, low double digit at the operating level. So yeah. basically 10 point margin expansion. So basically the business proved itself last year. Then, as I mentioned before, you know, the business growing 60% in January and, and the company in that, in that note, I mentioned the company was budgeting for 60% growth this year and they were equipped to deal with 60% growth. And then they got a hundred percent growth in March and now almost 200% growth in April, May or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you're right. If COVID goes away, this is just going to be a business growing at, you know, long-term 30% and this year maybe 60%, um, driven by this increasing interest in esports. I mean, esports right. itself is buying trend. And then within esports, it's sim, it's virtual racing, which right. think about it. If you're, if you're playing esports and you're playing Madden, right, or you're playing FIFA, those are great, but you're still playing a video game. Yeah. But if you're playing esports and you're racing a car, you're actually racing a car it's the closest most realistic most so you think we're just in the infancy infancy of of this kind of technology i mean look you're obviously gonna see the price points come down right it's too expensive not one can afford to spend a thousand euro on this hobby but as i said they only need 80 to 100,000 customers a year at current run rate and the installed base of of racing games globally according to fan fandom.com is 500 million games interesting the installed base of gran turismo games alone is 10 million apparently 
Okay. So you don't need every single person to want to spend a thousand euro. You only need to see lots of you, you need to see increasing global interest in the concept in esports and in racing, which is obviously happening. And then you just need to see premiumization as you go along. People can come in and start with the hundred euro, hundred dollar um, Logitech wheel, whatever. And then over time, you know, if you have better gear, you perform better. It's just like uh, you know, lacing up the best Nikes versus yeah. me running around the track barefoot, right? Like if you have the best Fanatec. No, wheel, I, I get, I get it. What 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 prevents yeah. a company, say like um, like Sony or Nintendo, to get into this market and just steal all this away from? from Endor. So so Sony Sony is actually a big well, they're a partner in a way, right? So obviously the PlayStation is one of the main platforms and yeah. a lot of the games are going to be released on PlayStation. So they have a contract with PlayStation just as that they have a contract with the OEMs to produce the gear that's compatible with PlayStation. So PlayStation actually is more of a partner than a competitor. Um, if you but, look at the But they won't do it. I mean, what if I mean what if they decide, you know, we just want to do this ourselves. We'll just make our own our own gear. That's what I'm well, asking. Like, I guess there's two things. Obviously, there's the brand. So yeah. at this point, the Fanatec brand has been built for over two decades. So yeah. there is, a, I mean, this is a branded product. And Ferrari is the wrong comp, but it's right. this is a very high-end luxury type product. That's that's why they can charge 50% gross margin. That's point one. Okay. Point two is the pond is just not that big. Like PlayStation, whatever their annual revenues are, it's I could look it up. It's in the billions, right? We're still talking all the Fanatec's revenues on an annual basis are still 80 million euro. Right. So yeah. even if PlayStation wanted to enter the market, even if they thought they could take a third of Fanatec's business over X period of time, we're talking, maybe we're talking 100 million annual revenue or something. Yeah. We're not talking, doesn't move the needle for them. And, and obviously, it's it's quite different, right? So, so PlayStation, um, you know, it's a typical razor, razor blade model, right? They want to increase the installed base as much as possible of the console and then make a recurring profit on game subscriptions sure, sure. Or well, I, re- I remember look you know years back right you know we had Nint- like do you remember duck hunt on nintendo yeah. and do you remember how yeah. nintendo made like their own gun um you know yeah. little, little thing yeah. i so that's just why I'm, I'm thinking like that it's a ri- it's more of a more of a more of a risk i think is is uh is you see some of these other guys like Logitech try to throw a lot of money at it and see commoditization of the product okay. rather than a new entrant to me. But okay. even that I'm really not worried about. I actually think it's far more likely Logitech just turned – Logitech's a $11, $12 billion company, right? Yeah, they're huge. Just turn around and buy this thing. I mean, so this thing's growing 100% a year. The CEO still owns 40 That's the other thing. The CEO and founder still owns 40% and said he's and he's not sold a single share. Okay. Um, so, look, maybe he doesn't want to sell. He probably doesn't want to sell now, but if Logitech comes in and pays a crazy price, that that seems far more likely to me than someone investing money to try to get up to speed because their position is just extremely strong. No, it's fair, fair point. It makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the bigger risks with this investment, honestly, uh, there, there's two risks. I mean, one is obviously execution. So they have a very loyal uh, customer base, um, as we've kind of touched on, given the strength of the brand, but... You know, if you can't deliver their product and you, you know, if you're just incompetent as a business servicing them, then at some point they're going to get upset. So they really need to l- get up the learning curve in terms of servicing their customers. Um, I'm confident that's something they will do, but you know, obviously they need to invest a lot of money through the PL and hiring people, yeah. uh, developing a better ERP system, things like that. So, you know, there will be some lumpiness in the PL. Like, that's to be expected. The second risk is more of a, 
more of a liquidity slash trading risk. Like if you put this away and come back in five years, I'm very confident you'll do extremely well. But like what was happened with GAN, right, during the crisis, it's still a microcap stock. It's still listed on a weird exchange. There's still a bunch of retail German investors who, you know, they've their stock's gone from 50 to 100, 110. Sure. If the market up tomorrow, could he could easily go back to 50? Uh, I don't think it would happen because you know th- there's more professionals looking at it now. But it could go from 100 to 70 in a, in a heartbeat. That that that, that could easily happen. Yeah. So it's more of a liquidity slash. Um, yeah, I mean, with like the company this, it could go from 150 again. Yeah, I mean, it could happen. Look, look at what GAN, right? Yeah, it doesn't take a huge number of sellers to push no, even GAN, a great GAN went from, like, the low 200s or high 100s to, like, 68. Exactly. Like, like and a that week. was a one day, one print, because <laughs> I remember trying to buy shares there, and I couldn't, and the next day mm-hmm. it was at 90 or whatever. <laughs> but it happened. So you're right. I mean, that's more of a risk to me with a story like this than the actual fundamental picture Look, it's it's very difficult to see how the trend changes unless they really shoot themselves in the foot on the execution side. No, you made side. a good argument for that. I, yeah, yeah, which which is a risk. So so those are the kind of things I'm focused on. And yeah, I mean, look, I'm trying not to be too outright bullish, but it's just really exciting. I mean, how many times in your life you're going to find something sustainably growing at? I mean, forget 100 percent. Let's just say 30 percent. It could compound at 30 percent easily for the next four years. What what, what what percentage of your portfolio did you make this? I mean, it's it's my largest position. I'm yes, okay. I want to keep that the exact percent to myself, but okay. I run a concentrated book and it's my largest position. Okay. So and and by the way, I bought all the way up. So you know, I bought some at fifty five. I bought some at eighty five. I bought some at one hundred five. So uh, the only thing limiting me from getting bigger is basically my own risk management, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the stuff we talked about with regard to execution, but more the whole liquidity of the stock is is a bit of an issue. So, yeah, so I really love this. I mean, you know, it's always caveat emptor, right? Do your own due diligence. And for this name, it's harder than most given the language barrier and, and that what, what, you know, what I've said. But, you know, hopefully this will be a good starting point for some of your listeners to, to kind of learn about the story. It's super exciting as well. The whole, look, I think there'll be more of these kind of names. I mean, forget bringing this name to the NASDAQ. If they sure. just bumped it up the Frankfurt Exchange, the stock would probably double or triple. So, um, but that aside, I'm not budgeting any of that. You know, I kind of think even if they do little things, like I do think they will publish English press releases and English financials. I think that's just that inevitable at this point. Yeah, I mean, look, it's already up to a small cap company, right? Like that—that that probably happens this year, I think. And so that—that's one thing for more eyeballs, and then obviously people like me talking about it, other investors already talking on Twitter actively about it. Um, <laughs> so it's going to get out there, um, and then there'll be a lot of pressure for them to just sharpen their investor relations image, and you know that—that that has a positive impact. Right. But I, I think there'll be more. There'll be more stories like this though, because the whole market is, you know, as you saw with online gaming and gambling, starved for growth. And so this is a, this is a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? This is a quintessential structural growth story at a, for now, value-ish price. So yeah. that weighs all the other risks to me we talked about. Well, cool. Um, this was interesting. I don't have any more questions for you. You you you, you lay out a good job at, at uh, sharing your sharing your, your thesis. Thank- yeah. So, so anyone who's more interested, they can they can obviously go to my site rapercapital.com and uh, check that out. And if it makes sense, they can sign up and. Okay, see all cool. the numbers <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll we will put a link to that for sure on the notes and thanks you can, buddy you can go to ericschlein.com slash podcast for um you know all the notes and for all of uh jeremy's former episodes that we've uh done um 
any other last words before we go that's it that's oh. it for today all right man well it was good catching up like always and maybe we'll cool. uh we'll chat in a few months sounds great mate all right Speaks. take it easy bye Thank you for listening to the Intelligent Investing Podcast with Eric Schlein. If you'd like to connect with Eric for questions, comments, feedback, ideas, or to inquire about being on the show, please contact Eric at intelligentinvesting at gmail.com. So, in the words of Charlie Munger, I have nothing to add.